Uh, from Channel Rockford Tower in the catacombs near Bancroft Parkway, uh, behind enemy lines and uh, always monitoring the Delaware Way elite, this is your Highlands Bunker podcast. Uh, Carl's behind the board as always, and uh, today we welcome as our guest a real Wilmington OG, uh, 20 years in the city council, uh, a director of the Parks Department formerly, uh, also uh, in the State Department of Revenue and Finance, um, the Pope of Browntown and Hedgeville, Kevin Kelly. How you doing? Good afternoon. Just one correction. It was health and social services, not revenue. Oh, health and service. But you did budget. Is that right? Yes, or I no? did the budget. Okay, that's why. Yeah. You did the finance at the health. Uh, thank you. Thank yes, you, you for that fine. correction. You were fine. Yeah, you're right. No, <laughs> now that you say that, I, I, I checked it. I, I mean, I, I just always, uh, and of course, I'm from Wilmington, too. I'm a little bit younger, so I've known you. I feel like I've known you my whole life because, uh, uh, you've been, I th you still live in the same house here? I'm still on Banning Street where I've been for about 25 years. Uh, you know, I moved up from Browntown. My wife said, you want a third child? I want a bigger house. So she went out. We had to move up the street about two blocks. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, why don't you give a little bit of your background um, here in the city and the things that you've done? You can clarify, um, you know, any of my mistakes um, yeah, before, before we kind of get never. into the, the, the uh, before we kind of get into the details of it. Listen, I, it's a pleasure to be here uh, today. I like the forum and, and need to get this voice out to people. As I said, I'm, you know, Kevin been in the city my whole life. I went to Wilmington High, Dell Tech, local person. Um, I got my kind of start uh, forming the Browntown Community Association back in the late 80s. Um, and I you know, ran that community association for several years. Um, had a job at the State of Delaware Health and Social Service Department. I started out just an accountant in the food stamp program, you know, back in the early 80s jobs were tough to come by. I had a degree from Goldie Beacom College, so I started working with the state uh, probably when I was about 25. Ran for office in uh, 92, ran against a, a friend of mine. You know, I'd originally ran for city council at large and said, why do I run against the whole city? Let me just try this and see what happens. So I ran against a, a good friend of mine, Joe Sherwinski, in a predominantly African-American, I mean, excuse me, in a predominantly Polish neighborhood um, where I was very beneficial was due to redistricting, which is back up again. There was a certain area that was added that was predominantly African-American, and I went to high school with everybody from Wilmington High who was there, so I won by 70 votes. Um, I was fortunate for the next four terms not to run with an opponent. I'm the only city council person ever run four times without an opponent. I mean, That's this is why we call you the Pope of Hedgeville. 16, you know, 16 years, which is it's good and bad. You know, you do a good job, and people don't want to run again, but I think I, I don't, never liked an unopposed election. I think people need to have some competition um, stayed with health and social services, got some promotions. 2012, you know, Baker's term was up. Said, you know what, time to run for mayor. I've got to control my own destiny in the city of Wilmington. Ran against Dennis Williams, Bill Montgomery, and a few other people came in second. You know, ran a good paying campaign, had some fun. Took a little time off, still working for health. There was an opportunity again in 2016 to run with myself, the mayor, Eugene, Dennis Williams, and, and a host of others. Uh, that ran. Unfortunately, I came up second again and said, that's it for me for politics. Got out. You know, then uh, I retired from the state. The mayor hired me to be the director of Parks and Recreation. He saw some value in me, and I think he knew that had several people not run, I might have been the mayor, but that's conjecture at the end of the day. So I got a family. I got three kids. One, uh, been married for a long while. My son, 
uh, works at J.P. Morgan Chase. I have a union iron worker son and a union pipe fitter son, and we live in a house over near St. Elizabeth. But I said I've been Wilmington uh, just about my entire life. Yeah, that's 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 great. We talked a little bit briefly about that um, 2016 mayoral campaign and or election because, you know, it was a real change, not because of the result of the voting, uh, but really because it sort of kicked off a lot of progressive organizing. Uh, both on issues and on electoral campaigns. And I think, just to be fair to Eugene, I think you came in third. I came in third. No, I did exactly. The, the first election, I came in second. Correct. You, you, correct. you refer to 2016, you meant 2012. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I yeah. came in third. Yeah, correct, Eugene correct. beat me by a couple. Yeah, yeah. Got chinny chin chin. I mean, That's okay. I mean, um, I, mean I, I, I would be remiss not to mention. Um, but I, I guess I kind of want to get into. To level set, before we talk about the op-ed, which uh, I think I mentioned to you, I talked about in here a week or two ago with Marie Pinckney and with uh, Hanif uh, Salam from the ACLU, because it, it certainly didn't get enough sort of juice in the circles that it needs to, and I'm trying to get the word out, because I, I think it was an excellent, uh, an excellent way to demonstrate what can be done uh, with uh, the relief funds that we were going to get, but it's also an excellent way to show what can be done if we take a, just a radically different outlook on how we run our communities. And I'll give you an example of sort of what the, the, idea, the change in idea. We decide to, our strategy is to give away public assets and tax incentives and cash awards um, for, for jobs and we say that that ex expands the tax base. Uh, but what happens is, um, just this week, you know, the Amazon plant opened, and they're going to pay, you know, we paid them to take it. They're going to pay $16 an hour. I mean, there were guys in, at the GM plant making $30 an hour f 25 years ago. So uh, it seems like, that seems like we're moving backwards on that score. Um, just today, Carl Baker, our friend, uh, wrote a, uh, an article in the News Journal, special to the News Journal, Golf Tainer, is failing running the port of Wilmington. Um, that was a great public asset, a deep water port that we gave away to Golf Tainer to, I guess, piss it away. Um, we saw it with the bus depot. We gave away a piece of land. And now DART actually, I think, pays a fee to Colonial Parking to run it. So we just give, just give stuff away. What you're proposing in this op-ed when we get there is the opposite of that, is actually investing in public assets for our communities. And I just wonder, thinking back to that 2016 mayoral campaign, I mean, we had a bunch of Republican come Democrats here right across the street that, you know, elected a, a, a corporate real estate man. And, um, you know, how are we going to get from where we are to the kind of things you're talking about? Well, I think the challenge is with government is that unless you have people who were forward thinking, nothing's going to change. You know, when I was at the parks department, I woke every, up every day and say, if I was, a, my customer was a, a teenage person and what would they do and how, what would we want to provide them to change? Many people who are in government now, as I taught you earlier, are baby boomers like myself. They've been used to doing the same thing over and over. And what they think they're doing is the right way to do it. And it's not. So you've got to change the way people think about how services are delivered. Government's always going to give away stupid things here, there, and other. That's just, unfortunately, how, how, we, 
how we provide those services for people. But you have to have a mindset where people change the way government thinks. Remember, government is a monopoly. Like today, if you want to call, you can only call one police department. You've got a problem with your water bill, you can only call one water place. You don't have choices. And when you don't have choices, you don't have competition or, for, or different thinking that you need to have. Yeah, I, to be honest with you, I don't really think it comes from competition. I think it comes from just a, a thinking that uh, the, that monopoly means something. And, and, it should be, and it should be directed uh, with a strategy more based on everyone than a strategy basically saying, we're not going to do any of this. We're going to facilitate um, private enterprise to do it. And I guess some jobs will be created, but, you know, that's, that's sort of that. I, I find, well, let's get into it. Let's get into the op-ed. And I think when we hit some of the, the bullet points, there'll be a stark sort of differentiation between the two. I would follow up that one thing that's, maybe you talk probably for community benefit agreements. You know, we don't use those like we should. We don't have formal community benefit agreements where people are coming to be able to do things. Give you an example. Over in Browntown, there's a housing development that's been proposed where the old Brown Mansion was. And the idea was to tear it down and build new houses, you know, maybe 42 houses. And the mayor and Bob Weir have been very helpful to try and get through it. But you have a developer that's going to come in and put in 35 new houses in a neighborhood. What does the neighborhood benefit by that? And is there a formal agreement that says, Here's what we're going to do for you. Here's what you need to do for us. All these agreements are kind of informal. At the end of the day, they don't pan out. So that's one thing to look at. But I'd be glad to get into that. No, that's a great uh, – no, yeah, let's get into those details because here it is. This was – on the 9th, this was published. Mm -hmm. Wilmington has a huge opportunity with American Rescue Plan funds. Here's why. Kevin Kelly, special to USA Today. So basically – it's a, it's a list of categories and bullet points within those categories about how w- the city of Wilmington and Newcastle County can spend roughly a, a billion and a half dollars of American Rescue Plan funds. Um, the first one, I think, is crucial, and I'll tell you why. Violence prevention. Create a violence prevention plan that would provide a framework and vision for strategies to address the fact that violence is a public health crisis. Baltimore recently created one. There's also ones I know in uh, Colorado. There's ones in Texas. Um, <clears throat> but yes, the big the big thing there is that violence is a public health problem, and it's and it's also so it, it it should be addressed as such. And maybe you could talk a little bit about what your ideas are and extrapolate a little bit more about why that's such a to me a a radical idea. Well, I think, you know, I'm, I'm a member of the Wilmington Community Advisory Committee, which was formed from Hanifa Shabazz and others and Rita Landgraf when the CDC came in and did their study of the state and realized that violence, the trauma is impacting people more than people really understand uh, when you have homicides and murders and everything else that goes on with, within a city. And trauma is long-lasting, and it impacts different people in different ways, especially children in the city of Wilmington. So when we start treating violence as a public health crisis, now it fits in with mental health business, addiction, and everything else that people do. So it's a different way, a different lens of looking at it, but it does impact the physical well-being of people. If I'm a young kid living in a tough neighborhood in the city of Wilmington, my mom and dad might not want me out because of the violence. So that impact doesn't allow me to be my normal self. Or if I'm living, I'm a working family, I have to be careful of my surroundings. Or my brother was killed, and now what do we do? You know, now we're dealing with this pain and suffering of he was taken unexpectedly 
unlike if he had passed away just from you know a heart attack or something like that. But you know, other cities have done them, and we need a plan. The CDC has a we have a plan that we did with the Wilmington Community Advisory Committee that lays out some goals and objectives, and we submitted some stuff to the mayors and others for funding. But we need a plan that people can buy into. Right now, nobody knows what they're how how can they help make things better. And the city, we're all dated or related in Delaware. So we all should be able to get along and make something happen. So that was part of it. And then if you look at violence in the city of Wilmington or just crime, crime occurs really in four or five areas. Okay. That is, and you can take one big swath. If you took Madison Street to the probably western boundary, all the way over to the city line to the railroad tracks, and from Vanderver and Concord Avenue up to about 30th Street, that is a large section of crime. If you look last night, we had a person who was shot at 27th and Jessup, who was in that area between Northeast Boulevard, 30th Street, Vanderver, and Market, was shot. Another person was killed over in the Riverside Housing Projects, okay? So, so far, I think we've probably had about 27 or 28 people who have been killed in the city of Wilmington. I, the last crime stat had 24, but it's up. The other area is the Upper East Side. If you take from 4th Street to Brandywine River and Walnut to Market, down around Bancroft School in that area. And then the other one is West Center City, Wilmington, where it's at. Where you're at over here, West Center, is pretty good for the most part. I mean, I would say it's better than pretty it's, good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's Shangri-La over here, it's let's just, be honest. But, you know, I had a guy, a friend of mine, Jimmy Nolan, guy, that, you, know, you know, he had to have a different strategy for each neighborhood. So the crime is incurring in those areas. There's a couple common factors. Most of them don't have strong community associations. They're, they're working on getting them better. There's not a place for a kid to go. I mean, if I'm at 24th and Tattoo, I'm not going to Powell. I'm not going to Brown. Eastside's still struggling with people's settlement. Now, West Center City has a lot of resources. I mean, there's West Center City, that, 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 that Hicks Anderson, and other spots. But they are the areas that crime is going on. And as I said, I learned long ago when I was in, in health and social services, you got to prioritize where you put your resources and put your resources where it's going to have the most impact. So that's the areas that I think really need the attention. I think it needs to be augmented with some community policing where you had some police officers were in there. You had some teams of people who could oversee things. Yeah, I, I want to – the next category I think is obviously very much related to the, the first one, and that's victim, victim services. Right. Uh, expand and provide 24-7 trauma response teams, case managers, and data collection system. Provide uh, transportation for them. Mm -hmm. And this is the third bullet, I think, is, is telling. You don't, you, you don't say this explicitly throughout this piece, but this is one place that you do. Move the youth response unit from WPD to Parks and Recs and operate it out of the Hicks-Anderson Community Center. So this is very important because this is a specific thing that we can do to take sort of armed officers away from something and 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 the and the intervention is something different than that well they're not armed officers so within and just to back up you know one of the component we need are the the violence intervention teams but the youth ser the youth services is a gentleman who a person and a few people who work within the city of wilmington police department they are not police officers but they respond to different events where there's some trauma involved or something goes on in dealing with youth. Sometimes when something is housed in a police agency, it has a connotation that it's a police function. So if you move it from a police function to a youth function, 
and you say, okay, this is this is really a youth pro. I'm a guy about core services. Where would you move it to? And that's what my proposal would be. Um, I think regarding trauma, I'll give you an example. When the gentleman, unfortunately, barricaded himself in the apartments on North Market Street, we had a lot of trauma. You had young kids waiting to go to school the next day that didn't know where to go because the block was closed off. You had the impact of the family whose house it was in. I knew the woman whose house the gentleman came through the door and barricaded himself in. There's just not this direct connection of trauma services. To me, get something up 24-7, boom, we got a team ready to go. There's a shooting, there's something happened, we respond. We have a mobile unit, you know what I mean, that has a van. We park that van. If you want, you go sit in that van, get your services. We're not leaving until you feel you're okay to move on. And I think victim services is a key part of what we do. They need more resources, but they have to look at it in a different way. Yeah, and I guess the important thing there is that the focus is on not, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a traumatic incident and an unfortunate incident. But the resources really need to be to everybody else afterwards to try to sort all of that out for people, and we just fail. We don't, we don't do much of that at all. I, you know, I... You know, I'm, a, I'm a management guy, and there's a thing called a racy chart. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that, but look it up. And it tells you, you have to have somebody who's, who's in charge of doing things and say, you know what, here's how we're going to do it. I shouldn't have to call you, Carl, and three other people to get some help. There should be a single coordinated effort to try and make this happen. Because people get frustrated. They call, you didn't call back, and that's what we need. So if you had the trauma centralized, had some people ready to go, I think we would do better. And moving the thing to Hicks kind of changes that kind of mindset about the perception of who's helping you. Um, one big one I want to hit because it was another great one, and I have a comment about it too. Compensate employees who've worked uh, from March 2020 to February 2021 with a one-time bonus based on actual numbers of hours worked during this time, during the, the, the pandemic time. Larger bonuses should be paid to sanitation and park staff. Completely agree. Um, again, thinking about the trauma issue, I, I actually think about this issue too. A lot of stuff goes on behind the scenes to try to help people, to try to make the community, uh, you know, cohesive. Right. Um, I know people. A couple people just moved new to our block, and <clears throat> you know, we explained to them, "Hey, trash goes, trash bin goes out Friday." or excuse me, Tuesday, the recycle bin goes out uh, Friday, you get these from the city, you put your stuff in, they come, they take it, that's it. If you have something big, you call them, you get a special pickup, they tell you, you put it out, they take it. Nothing, it's easy. But it happens like, it happens so uh, smoothly that when something happens, people freak out about it. But yeah, I mean, these are the kind of services that, that need to be uh, not ignored, but uh, compensated properly. And I think that it was... It was um, I appreciated the fact that you put it there explicitly in there. Well, listen, I worked during the pandemic as the director of the Parks Department, and we worked at the yard. So Public Works and us, we worked every day. We cut grass. We did things. We opened Hicks-Anderson. The trash got picked up. All the other things got going on in the middle of a pandemic. And a lot of people who were working were scared of the pandemic. You know, the government hasn't been good to them for health care and things like that. And they were concerned about a lot of stuff. But speaking from the parks, we gave out meals every day. And last year, we gave out 1.2 million meals to people during COVID. And that's people coming, the meals get prepared. We had the, 
the Prios, you know, people, they get a lot of complaints about stuff with getting tickets. Well, during the pandemic, the Prios work with us. They were delivering lunches every day to help out. So a lot of things got done, and the, the regulations for AARP say you're allowed to give a bonus to your workers. Maybe the cops and firemen need something too, but usually public service, you know, first responders have already got some money. So compensate those men and women who worked every day in slate of that COVID to make sure your trash got picked up, the park got cleaned up, and your family had a meal. Yep, 100%. Um, and again, going back to the original conversation, it was more like, you know, this idea that that's the real, that's the thing that makes our community go. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm not, so I, I drove in downtown Wilmington yesterday for the first time in, in ages, and every road's closed because they have to put another, you know, BPG has to put another building up somewhere. And look, I, I get it. There's going to be development, whether I like it or not. So that's fine. I just accept it. Um, but it seems sometimes that that's, the, that's a very myopic, almost like the sole focus of, of our government and our community is to do business deals and uh, what did I say last week? Put a, put a steakhouse next to Bardea. Like, I don't really care about that stuff. This kind of stuff, I think, is, is it just a huge shift for people. And, and, I, I, and I, am, I just wonder how you're going gonna to crack that nut. Uh, I mean, we're going to keep trying, brother, that's for sure. Well, let, let, me hit, let, let me hit this, too, because I think going back to the, the trauma piece of it and the violence, the, 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 you know, the, the homicides and the other violent crimes, because the cause of them, I feel, are varied. Uh, one of them is, is homelessness. And so here, here's the, the, the two homeless bullets here I think deserve a, a, a nice long conversation. Purchase a motor home and partner with an organization that can provide services for homeless individuals. Christina Park could be the hub for consumers. I will say one thing about that, uh, partnering with an organization, I think the city should just create a 12-person a, a department, fund it with this money, and do this. <clears throat> Two, uh, purchase the vacant lot across from the Sunday Breakfast Mission. Actually, I think the body shop might own that lot, but I know exactly the lot you're talking about. Uh, and construct housing for homeless individuals. Well, that seems like a very simple sentence. You know, if, if, if a municipality or a community or a neighborhood has a problem with people not having homes and they they have an influx of, 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 of cash, um, you'd think they would just build homes for those people. Um, but, you know, what's actually happening is the opposite. You know, what's your take, before we get into that, do you know anything, because I think this is important, do you know anything about, you know, the why the central branch is not getting their, uh, their nonprofit grant to offer temporary uh, housing uh, for either homeless or people who just need temporary housing, emergency housing. I, and, and so they're not doing that on one end, yeah. but you propose something which I think is, I mean, it's, it's, it's patently correct. If somebody needs a house, you get them a house. Um, but you see, that, you see the dynamic that I keep talking about that, that is pulling against this. It's because it's in exactly the opposite direction. Well, so I worked for health for a long while, and we had a, we had a group that was called Wilmington Cares, and we met with, you know, between my care, others who had a vested interest in downtown to address the homeless issue in Wilmington. You know, Rick Van Story, uh, Alan Conover was a very good friend of mine. So I was very familiar with her. Listen, when I was in, uh, not to die, when I was, uh, my first job in the summer was giving out lunches in a park down in Browntown. 
And every day when I had lunches left over, I hopped over the fence and went underneath the railroad tracks and gave every homeless person a lunch. Well, somebody ratted me out. The big Bahafas came and said, you can't give them people lunches. You're going to have to let you go. I said, well, then you're going to have to let me go. I'm going to give them lunches because they need to be fed. So the one thing that I had always talked about is you take Christina Park and you make it a homeless encampment. Not Maybe take that word back. You bring the services there. You let people live there if that's where they need to live. You bring your resources there, your health services, your mental health and everything, to that location. Right now, you have people who just give out food all along in that area. Move them to the park so it's kind of not regulated, but where we have a central spot to be able to do it. Start trying to find housing for people. You know, There's the rapid housing. The state has a lot of resources for housing. If you look at a lot of homeless people anymore in the city, it is usually a young man and woman, Caucasian, who are going from spot to spot. Some have an addiction problem. And then there's your hardcore ones that we have. But the homeless issue is something we've got to address. You know what I mean? And I said, you know, before, if you're homeless, you have a right to sit in a park, whether somebody likes you or not, all day long. It's America. You might stink. You might smell. You might be that. you got to be able to see there. But homelessness is an issue that's kind of ebbs and flows depending upon who's pushing to try and get it resolved. Yeah, and, and again, obviously, but the, here's my issue with it. The, the Rob Buccinis and the Michael Harris of the world do have a vested interest in the homelessness downtown. Their right. interest interest is to get it the fuck out right? because they're trying to make money down there. Uh, and Przicki's interest is the same because, uh, for example, you know, there was, a, a, there was a, a building over here. I think it was on Lancaster Avenue. I don't remember exactly. It was near Wawasset. But in any case, they, they were getting a methadone, I think, and other Still other there. health services. Still but there. that, but y- yes, but it's it's uh, <clears throat> if there was an opportunity to move it, the mayor would seize that opportunity. Well, I when I was at Health, I tried uh, you know to move it, but going back to but move to, it where? But move it where? Well, we were trying to probably relocate it to um, just downsize it and move it to Memorial Drive. Here's the thing with the methadone clinic. Why is there one methadone clinic in the city of Wilmington that serves the entire Newcastle County? You'll see in there, too. I have something in here as well about that. How do you make it more easier? If I want to get methadone, why do I got to come to one spot all the way in Wilmington? That's I, fair. Should, I should be in Newark. I should be in Clayman. I should be where we're at. Going back to the homeless, in fairness to the, you know, the Bacini group, they had hired you know, a social worker whose job was to help homeless people get jobs and work, and it and it. It worked for a while. We had some bubbles in the road to see what's going on. But, you know, you're right about the homelessness. It's something that doesn't go away. It's confined to a certain area of the city, and it's something that we've got to be able to deal with along with everything else. Well, I will tell you this, and, and, and this probably will come as no surprise to you, but, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, uh, there's a, a homeless man who lives uh, at, the 10, uh, at the 10 bus stop, at the bus shelter, here yes. right in the middle of Charlie yes. Square. Yes, see him every day. Every, yeah, almost yep. every day. Yep. You know, he's I got a set up and yep. all of that. Mm-hmm. So the idea that it's that I mean, obviously that's not the issue it would be if there were more, but it's it's not necessarily uh, you know relegated to uh, or or localized to you know particular neighborhoods. So, you know, the the problem I think with the the because of where services are and where other things are happening. Yeah, I mean, it it's definitely hits harder some places. I agree with you. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I wonder what you think. What do you think of the, the Hope Center? I mean, Matt, Matt Meyer went and uh, and did something. Si- Anytime I see any kind of proposals that you've given about this, I, I go right to that because that was one of the – maybe the only big one to address a lot of these social things. I think it was a good move, you know – 
he has individuals there that are you know they, now you have them centralized where you can work with them, get your team near together, and try and have them move on. They're not scattered all over. Listen, it's a perfect thing. We just had to flood in Northeast. We moved people from Northeast over into that hotel because we had it. Because other people, once they found out you were from Northeast, uh, now I don't have a hotel room for you you know, anymore, which is a shame. We're trying to find hotels for 200 families in the state. We can't find them. People are going from couch surfing spot, don't have the spot to do. But going back, I like the idea of buying that building for homelessness and getting families together, getting them back on their feet. Outside the box thinking, that's usually what Matt does. He thinks a little bit different sometimes than other people. Yeah, and you're, and you're doing it too. I mean, yeah. and not just uh, talking about, you know, acquiring lots and, and uh, acquiring, you know, vehicles and staffing them, but uh, buying buildings. There's another, uh, I think, in, in either neighborhood services or youth services about, or no, it was employment. Job training. Job training. Job training. About moving, buying, actually employment. buying a building, a public asset. Mm-hmm. I mean, go figure. Uh, we usually give those away. We don't. We don't keep them. Well, this one's private. Well, th- that's private. But you're talking about using this munic- city funds, right. municipal funds, to buy the building and put the s- municipal services in there. For is that what you're? Well, so what, so in there long ago, there was a thing called the Wilmington Employment Corps, which which uh, Harris McDowell and Brian McGlinchey ran. That was the the. Good old days when you had the suburban street fund money. You can do what you wanted with the money any way you want it. But what the money was used for was to supplement somebody, a, a young person from City Wilmington who had a job. You'd get a job. The city would throw in a little bit extra to pay you a little bit more. People went through a program. I think we need to bring something like that back. The Moyer Academy has been vacant for years. It sits over on the northeast next to Northeast State Service Center, next to Brown Boys and Girls Club. It's probably four or five buildings. We're spending a lot of money on graffiti. How do we take that building and make it a job training center? I've been trying to get the Votech district to try and thought thinking about a seventh and eighth grade junior high for Votech. So a young person can go to Votech at seventh grade, not twelfth grade or ninth grade, and really learn about it. But you have an asset that's been vacant. One of the banks own it, probably about nine hundred or million dollars debt on it. Get it and make it productive. Because then you have the job training over on the north on Vanover Avenue. You have the Hope Commission there. You have Northeast State Service Center. You have the Brown Boys and Girls Club. Now you have a campus to be able to do a lot of different things for people. And that was my idea to be able to do that with, with the technology. You know, and also, you know, I'm a guy from the summer youth program at the, at the city. We employed 350 young people this summer and last year in spite of COVID. And we have a year-round program. How do you have opportunities for young people who are in high school who need to make a couple bucks each week in a job that's not cutting grass per se or sitting, but something productive that's going to lead to their, I can't think of the the term they use in school, but what their ultimate goal is. So there are some things that we could do. And the other thing is we got enhanced DBEs, you know, in the city of Wilmington. We don't, we have DBEs who are struggling for capital. I think part of the mayor's plan what the money is to do that. Can you explain to people what So DB is a disadvantaged business enterprise. Um, right now, there is a study. Rashima Dixon's got money with approval from the mayor to do an assessment of all the work that's being done in the city. So a disadvantaged business enterprise, usually it's by uh, by your net worth, you know, a woman maybe or, or a minority, and that kind of qualifies. You have to go through a thing to do it. But many of them are not getting the business work we have in the city of Wilmington. Work is being done from outside the way. Listen, the city is predominantly black and brown. Let's, let's, let's cut right to the chase. But black and brown people are not getting some of the jobs that they feel they should be entitled to. 
I said, I tell people, listen, if the if if the city was seventy five percent Irish, and the Polish were getting all the work, the Irish would say, what's going on? How do we get some of the work? So it's not. It's not you know any kind of bias. It's just how do we share the well, loot a little bit 100, better. 120 years ago, they were saying pretty much exactly, <laughs> exactly that. same thing, right? So now we're in a, now we're in a new way. So how do we you know how do we strengthen DBEs to get them to be able to do the work that they need? But employment is one way that we've got to lift people up. You know, the education system is a challenge. You know, the other thing I have in here, we've got enhanced education. I live in Christina School District, test grades five percent of kids in Byard passing math. Five at Glasgow, pass and math. It's just a struggle that we have to be able to do. COVID has set young people back two to three years in their learning curve. So how do we try and get them up? Families are scared. You have to bring tutors to young people's homes. You have to invite churches and anybody else who wants to tutor kids to be able to bring them up to be able to do it. There's a bunch of other money that the State Department of Education has that's available as well that can be spent. But, you know, a friend of mine, Eric Adams, who was on city council, God rest his soul, he said, you know, education is the currency to your future. And unfortunately, a lot of our youth in the city, they're broke. They just don't have anything to get them going. Yeah, and I think the the problem really is that, as I said, there's an overarching problem that it's not our, really our responsibility. What you're doing in this op-ed and these ideas, what Matt Meyer's doing at the Hope Center, is basically taking responsibility for these things. I, I want to take this one step further into like the political realm, but more of the organizing and advocacy part of it. How do we organize and advocate for taking responsibility when the easy way out, as demonstrated by you know Mike Przicki in the BPG way, is to actually not take responsibility? Or pawn that responsibility off on organizations like you're saying to go to jump through hoops and make sure that they meet, you know, these three checklists. And we got to make sure this organization's good because, you know, some, some nonprofits are good, some aren't any good. You know, some are run by fair people, some aren't. You know, and, and look, I, I, haven't, I, I, I believe in their goals and their mission. You know, I think Connections, for example, did, did some great work for people around here. But it was... But they they were criminals. They were a criminal enterprise, and so f- passing this responsibility off to, you know, a, a Darius Brown led organization, or should we just take responsibility ourselves? Well, I think you know the root of it is and across. Listen, I got my start in community organizing long ago. I formed a community association when we were, you know, that was eighties, nineties. You didn't do anything in anything in that part of that district unless you went to that community association and got some blessing. Right now, we don't have strong neighborhoods. We have people who are, we have a lot of neighborhoods who are run by predominantly African-American women who are very strong in their community, been around for a long while like myself. You know, the Facebook has changed the interaction. Communities that can take care of themselves, Cool Springs, Union Park, Bancroft, Highlands, others, they run pretty good. But take that same thing down to Browntown and Hedgeville, the east side, where you only have 10 people who come to a meeting. So we've got to organize better and get people organized better to hold people accountable. Yeah, because my, I have to say, you know, I'll, I'll go a little further than that. Mm-hmm. I think we should all take responsibility. I don't think it's the responsibility of a particular individual somewhere 
to um, to show up to these meetings just to get the services they need or just to make sure that the, the school that they're sending their kid goes to is good. Like, yeah. I don't have to show up at a post. I don't have to show up and demand a certain kind of postal service. Well, actually, we're having to now, but generally in our lives, we haven't. We just mail the thing and the serve and it goes away. Like, the money is here. If we take responsibility, we can, you know, I, I, you're, you're, you are right that it takes people, it takes some sort of grassroots movement, but I, I wonder whether we can, ch- how we can change people's minds just to take, just to say every, this is our responsibility to do. That's a great point. I mean, it's, it's one that fits better with some than others. You know what I mean? You know, me, I came from a generation where you did service, you volunteered, you do all that. Now it's not as much as it used to be, but you have a good point. What's the line between what I need to be able to do to make sure things are right, or how do I collectively make things better for everybody within the city? Yes. I mean, look, the this city is a world capital of finance. I think we know that. Um, we have very... Uh, we have a lack of regulation for banks and financial institutions. We also have an enterprise here which allows people to basically launder money through here secretly. Uh, and it's used, it's utilized. I mean, you look at the Panama Papers. Um, you can look at other documents. It, this is no, this is how this is what it is. So the fact that all of that money is coming through here, I find it difficult for me to go to a to a neighborhood that doesn't doesn't get any resources other than the cops boot on their neck, and the school that they go to is bad, and they don't have the bus doesn't really run through there, et cetera, et cetera, and saying you know you should really come out to a meeting every month. Now, yeah, people are laundering tens of millions of dollars a day through one office, but it, but it's really on you to come to a meeting. I think it's on us. I think it's on us to to provide for people a a, a solid uh, a solid life, a good life, good services, good schools, food, housing, everything. Because because there's a there's a there's a there's a there's an out there's a something's not in balance and we have to start talking about getting that in balance. Well, wasn't the whole question about how do we organize to get that? Yeah. So b- correct. But how do we? But yeah. So so, so yeah. So I how think do that's we, the point that's being made is that like having stronger civic associations and community organizing. So what's it's the, not necessarily that you they are going to be the ones who are going to be like delivering your mail or anything. But right, right, they right. are necessary to. And that, that was the same thing during the New Deal. That was the same thing at the founding of the country. Yeah, I'm reading had it now, these yeah. deep civic organizations that not only, you know, you know, they tell people how to take out the like, you know, they give that information out, but they're also the ones advocating for a stronger Yeah, that's a great point. Maybe I'll I'll yeah. phrase it that way, because perfect. Because I'm reading the book Harvey JK gave me homework because he won't come on again until I read his other book. <laughs> so I'm reading the Four Freedoms. And really what it's about is just that. As you said, people are sort of standing up. And saying, yeah, I'm going to go join a union or I'm going to join this new organization that's being funded by the New Deal to see if it's going to work. Some sort of housing or jobs or whatever it is. But the reason they did that was because of the, the, they felt the message they were getting made sense to them. And so the messaging was able to motivate people. So it's not just getting the people. It's sort of like showing them that this is the picture. What's the message, I guess? how how do we break that spell and get people acting the way they did from 32 to to 39 rather than how they're acting now i think one thing call you i think what what we do have in this city is a lack of a leadership there's not leaders who are leading us there's consensus and you depend upon who you talk to i'm religious i got this and that 
And by organizing, you create leaders. So when you have leaders, I feel comfortable with going to you, Carl, you've been about an issue that I have. I may not like the city council person. I may not like whoever that may be. And when you organize, you get leaders. And that's what we need in the city. You know, people who can step up and do things and work collectively together for the better good of what we've got to do in the city. And it's going to take a little time, but I think there's a generation of people who are ready to do that. We just got to tap into them and figure out the best way. That's all. No, I, I would agree. I mean, I, I have a lot to say about most of the city leaders, and most of it's bad. Um, there's a few, you know, few good ones. Um, we had Sinead Darby from, from city council here a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's trying to change, you know, the things that she's doing, people sort of don't understand because they don't make sense to people the way they do it. But she's doing that to try to force, force the issue the other way. You have to deal with her now. She's on the city council in some fashion. So just because you've been doing the same stupid shit for 20 years doesn't mean we have to continue to do it that way. But that we don't have enough of those people. Well, and, and you've retired. I mean, are, can you announce, do you think you can announce a, a, a mayoral run? Now, I mean, Przicki's second term is up. I mean, what about a, a you could come out from retirement. We've hung, your, we've hung the jersey up. We could take it down. Kevin Kelly Sr., mayor. We, we need new leadership. Kevin, uh, listen, I've had a good run. And I'm fortunate that I'm still very popular. I've had my run. Need somebody else who's going to have that movement and take it over. It's got to be a like a, a, not a seismic change to see what goes on. I think one thing, you know, going back to Shanae, I, I, I think she's got some good ideas. But in an electric where you only win by a little bit of votes, you don't have a consensus of what everybody feels. And not to throw something spilled milk or about mayor, but should in elections, if you don't get 50%, there's a runoff, you know, something to consider. You know what I mean? You know, the, la- the last mayor, the last time, nothing against Mike or even I mean, Dennis you can w- bad mouth Mike. I'm not saying, I'm, listen, Mike, Mike Brzezicki, I'm not here to uh, bad Mike. I am. Uh, that's that's your decision. That you, yes. Mike gave me an opportunity. I have the most respect for Mike and what he did. But I will say is that Dennis Williams, the mayor, and others were elected with a majority of less than 25% of the people who voted. Other cities have, you know, runoffs to see. But, you know, listen, leadership is an issue in the city. That's what I started with. Yep. We have to have <laughs> leaders. Where When Jim Baker was mayor, you knew what the hell we were doing, one way or another, whether you liked him or not. And we need some leadership. And hopefully it'll come soon. That's all. Yeah, I mean, we'll leave it at this. Yep. Uh, because I'm uh, a friend of ours uh, is now, you know, a, a fairly uh, highly placed person in the State Department of Housing. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of these housing issues um, could be uh, could be broached uh, with someone who sort of believes as we do, and so there is some hope there, I think, because I, you know, I, you know, Eugene, I know Eugene, we all know Eugene, we know what what you know, we know the way that he thinks and what he wants to do for the community, and so I think someone like that is, to your point, um, a a. A next generation. And when we see those people, we have to show them all kinds of solidarity and all kinds of support because the system shuffles that out. This is why, you know, Sinead is a lone voice on the city council. This is why when you wrote what I found to be a a radical 
op-ed that was just, just so dear to my heart. Like, you ask people if they saw it, and they're like, I think I did. I'm not sure if I did or not. Like, because Nobody this, reads the journal anymore. I that's know. Well, that's, that's true. That's, that we had that discussion earlier yeah, about trying to get sorry. better information out to people. Sorry, guys. That's okay. Um, but, um, no, yeah. But but yeah that this is the this is the issue like the this the, the system itself is is set up to marginalize people who don't think the way the status quo is and I think you're right and so we need to as a as a community of advocates com, you know community organizers grassroots camp grassroots politicians and candidates uh, we need to make sure that we show solidarity with people who think the way we do. Because there's not a many of us. I and I think you know it's it's helpful. And I just and to go back to the op-ed, you know, being a young person in the city is is challenging. It's not as easy as it used to be. And there are a lot of things that we've got to try and do to prevent young people from doing the wrong thing. But we also have to put attention into those that are doing the right thing and how do we move them up higher than what they are. You know, the reality of it is there are some. Unfortunately, there are some bad people in the city, and we tried to help them, and we tried the best we could. Sometimes you can't. So I tell people, Jesus couldn't save everybody. He did his darnest to do it. So sometimes we got to just accept where we're not going to be able to change it, but put our resources where we need to be able to do it. The population of the city is much younger. You know, I'm a census guy. If you look at the census data, it's much younger. The baby boomers are aging out. We're passing away. It's predominant on the west side. It's predominantly Spanish. You know, there's more and more of that. So the young people have to come back, and that's why I've talked about a youth master plan. I wish I'd have had it when I was the parks director. I think I'm going to get the the, the community uh, group that I'm on to look at it. But we need a roadmap to go back to your thing about the nonprofits. The three of us are nonprofits on the west side. Hypothetically, we all do job training. We all serve youth. We all do the same thing. You do one thing pretty well, you do one thing well, and I do the other pretty well. You need to do what you're doing, and we send kids to you. I need to do what I'm doing, send kids to me, and send them to you. We all can't play in this sandbox together and figure out what's the best solution for everybody. And the only way you change policy is either you've got the most resources to change the policy, or you've got the biggest stick in the room and people are scared the hell of you to not do anything wrong. So you've got to have some balance of what goes on. And that's kind of what we need in the city. How are we going to move this city forward? Prayer isn't getting us where we want to go. No. I've been through all that. I've been to prayer vigils. I'm a peacekeeper. I get all that. You know what I mean? Somewhere you got somebody who's like, when that person comes in a room, oh, shit, here he comes. It's time to get to business. And I think our youth are really faltering from not a lot of good planning on what we need to address them. Kevin, mm-hmm. thanks so much for doing this. Not a problem. I at wish all. you. I wish you had the big announcement, the big mayoral announcement. Yeah, listen, I listen. I was listen. If you'd have told me thirty years ago that I'd have ran for mayor twice and very close both times and did it, but you know, I I was telling my kids it's better to played the game and lost and never played. You know, I I got beat. I I was lucky. I lost the first time. I got a I got a job promotion with the state. Moved up to the top of the ladder. Second time, I got lucky I got the dream job, the parks director. Now I'll be 65. It's time for me to try and use my knowledge of the city to try and help others better themselves and better the city. We all love this city. We have different views. You have a different lens? Hey, I respect your lens, brother. You know, we're over here on, on, on Union Street. We're not holed up outside the city, you know what I mean? Yeah. You've been here a long while. You're not going nowhere. No. And I respect that. 
And we've got to respect that there are different ways and opinions that people have of getting us to where we want to go, and let's just try and work together to make that happen. Yeah, no, I, I'm. That does give me some hope, because again, I, I don't. My my whole thing, and and you were a, a sort of a finance management guy too, is you know when when I think about um, how a lot of these decisions are made, and I think about all the spreadsheets and the fields and getting the money <laughs> from here and how the money's going to come out. There's no there's no real field that says like how will this help people's daily life like what's the what's the impact are people going to be ha- safer happier i mean you could say we think this will do something about violent crime but the the actual the person's well-being i mean we try to measure it but we really don't we're talking more about in hypotheticals uh and and when i like with amazon we're talking more about secondhand thirdhand tax base you know a 16 dollar an hour job that's not good enough now, the stuff you're talking about really does take into account, like the spreadsheets don't, people's well-being. And when if you can lift people's well-being, everybody's better. And I, I agree with you, and I think what we have in government sometimes, we try and do this, give everybody a little bit of money and hope it solves the problem instead of trying to fix certain areas where their problem are in certain people. You know, when I was in health and social services, I work for a guy, Vince McConey, great guy, you know, we had a dollar to spend. You had a young person who had a, a, a birth defect who was autistic. You had drug analysis you had to do. You had somebody with cancer, somebody with mental health, somebody with drug addiction, somebody in a long-term care spot, somebody's child was blind, child support, adult dis- disabled individuals, homelessness and all. And you had to make a decision on where does your dollar go. Well, you make it based on where you think the best input will be and how do you improve the quality of life of somebody like you say. And that's what we've got to be able to do better. Well, thanks again. Uh, Anytime. Folks, you know how to uh, you know how to reach us. We're at uh, patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker at Highlands Bunker on Twitter. You could always uh, you know throw us a ten dollar a month uh, patronage, support our work. We're out here hustling, independent, doing our thing. Um, look at uh, De- uh, Delaware Call, folks. Uh, we put uh, a bunch of cool stuff up last week. We have uh, a fellowship that's starting with a student from Dell State. She's going to be writing about social justice issues, and their intersection with university life. That's going to be pretty cool. Um, yeah, so we're doing organizing. You know, you know, Carl's always out behind the scenes doing stuff you don't even know he's doing it. Knocking doors, getting data. Data. Data is the plural of data, right? It's just data. Well, uh, everyone, uh, enjoy your week, and, and left is best. <laughs>